chapter 10, 2 Samuel chapter 10. Amazing to me that the God of heaven would be willing to stoop as low as humanity. Uh, the fact that Jesus Christ was willing as the Son of God to become the Son of Man and to come down and, and not just that he was willing to come down to this earth and live with men, not that he was just willing to be born of a, as a baby and all of those other things, but the fact that he was willing to die on the cross for my sins. What an amazing thing. Uh, the fact that he knew that almost 2,000 years later I was going to come along and I was going to be a sinner and I was going to need somebody that could save me. And the fact that Jesus Christ, knowing that I was going to sin against him, still died on the cross for me is an amazing thing. And then on top of that, the fact that God, as God of the universe, and boy, I don't know if you've ever seen some of these things on Facebook or other places where you know, they, they start to kind of try to describe how massive the universe is. And, and, and honestly, they still have no idea how big the universe is. And the fact that there are just galaxies upon galaxies upon galaxies and, and just unlimited number of stars and, and uh, planets and all kinds of stuff out there. And to think of the fact that as far as we know, this is the only place in the entire universe where there is life. And God loved us so much that he was willing to send his only son to this tiny little dot of a place in the middle of nothing and save us. And then on top of that, the fact that God allows us to come before him, not, be, not to go through some priest or some man or, or uh, have to go through Mary or any of these other people, but that we can go directly to God ourselves and meet with him every single day. And the fact that God, as the creator of the universe and as the ruler of the universe, is willing to stop whatever he's doing and come and meet with me, that's an amazing thing. That's an amazing thing that God would do that for us. 2 Samuel chapter 10 doesn't really have anything to do with our passage this morning, but I just thought it's an amazing thought uh, that God would do that for us. But here in 2 Samuel chapter 10, David and the people of Israel really are facing this really, it's an undesired conflict. You know, there was a lot of fighting that, that happened. Israel had to go out to battle a lot, but David was not looking for a fight. David was not looking to defend anything. He wasn't looking to try to take anything, but this fight came to him, and, and kind of in a weird way. Uh, the king of the children of Ammon died, and David had sent messengers to the king's son to convey his condolences. And the princes of Ammon got together and concocted this story in their minds, saying, you know what? David's not doing this because he's trying to show us sympathy. David's not doing this because he's trying to be our friend. He's doing it because he's sending these guys to be spies in our land, and he's going to use that information that they bring back to then come and attack us. And so those princes... Of the, of the children of Ammon captured the Israelites who were coming to give their condolences and they humiliated them in the worst way possible. They cut their beards in half. They cut their clothes directly in half and then sent them back home. And of course, that, I mean, the ultimate humiliation and David heard about this and so David goes out and meets them where they are so that they didn't have to show themselves in front of the people. And he said, you guys, you just stay here until your beards grow back, until everything, is, until everything looks normal and then you can come back to Israel. But, obviously, that set some things in motion. And that brings us to verse number 6. I love the way the Bible says this. And when the children of Ammon saw that they stank before David, the children of Ammon sent and hired the Syrians of Bethrahab and the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 footmen, and of King Maacah, 1,000 men, and Ishtab, 12,000 men. And when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the host of the mighty men. 
And the children of Ammon came out and put the battle in array at the entering in of the gate. And the Syrians of Zobah and Rahab and Ishtab and Maacah were by themselves in the field. When Joab saw that the front of the battle was against him before and behind, he chose of all the men, uh, of all the choice men of Israel, and put them in array against the Syrians. And the rest of the people he delivered into the hand of Abishai, his brother, that he might put them in array against the children of Ammon. So the children of Ammon get scared. And they say, now we've really done it. Now we're in hot water. Now we better prepare because David's not going to take too kindly to this. And so they went out and they enlisted the help of the Syrians. And they said, hey, this battle is coming. I know you're an enemy of Israel too. This is a great opportunity. We need your help. And they hired thousands and thousands of these foot soldiers to go out there and help them with that battle. And of course, now that required that they were going to have to face the enemy on two fronts. There was the front of the Ammonites and there was the front of the Syrians. And now they're in front of them and they're behind them. And so Joab deploys his men, and he meets his brother, the leader of the other force, and he gave, the, gave him this admonition in verse number 12. Well, actually, we, we back up to verse number 11. He said, if the Syrians be too strong for me, then thou shalt help me. But if the children of Ammon be too strong for thee, then I will come and help thee. And then he gives him this admonition. Be of good courage, and let us play the men for our people and for the cities of our God. And the Lord do that which seemeth him good. See, we're in a battle today on a lot of fronts, and it's being fought uh, in a lot of different ways. We're facing spiritual battles. We're facing political battles. We're facing emotional battles, a whole lot more. And there's a lot of fronts that we are, that we are facing this battle on, but one of the most important battles that we face is on the home front. In our homes, there's a battle that's raging in every single home. And I'm not saying there's all kinds of fighting going on or you're pulling out the swords every night and duking it out. But there's a battle that is facing us in our homes. The devil wants to destroy your home. We're in a battle for the spiritual survival of our families. Do you realize that the devil wants to destroy your home? It would be great if everything just went smoothly and all your kids were born angels and they stayed that way for the rest of their lives, right? Be great if you married the, the, the woman of your dreams and then you floated on clouds and unicorns until the day that you die. But it doesn't usually happen that way, right? Uh, the truth is the flesh comes along, spurred on by the devil, and, and, and he fights against everything that is good in our homes. It's not a battle you are looking out to fight, but the fight comes to your front door. Now, most men lose the battle to Satan for, for, for a couple different reasons. Number one is that, that a lot of times they send their wives to fight the battle on the front lines. Or number two, they just, they just roll over and put up the white flag. You know what? It's a battle. I'm probably not going to win anyway, so you guys just go do what you want to do, and that's the end of it. And we just, we just turn our families over to Satan, and he is going to destroy them. The Bible says that in, in, in 1 Peter. The devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may Push around a little bit, seeking whom he may, you know, cause to trip every now and then. No, the Bible says the devil is seeking whom he may devour. He wants to destroy your home. That's not how God designed us to be as the leaders of our home. Now, maybe you didn't ask for that position. Maybe it was one of those things where I didn't realize what I was getting into when I got married and had kids. This is not my personality. This is not my, you know, this is not my type of thing. I don't do that. But you are the leader in your home, and you have a responsibility to fight for what God gave you. Joab, as the leader of men, turned to his brother and shared an admonition with him that I think would be very helpful for us in our homes to us as men and fathers today. So I want to take just a couple minutes, and I, and I say that I mean it. It's going to be a shorter message this morning, um, but I, I want to take a few minutes this morning and share with you three instructions that are given in this admonition that will help us 
as we stand in the battle. That's what I want to talk about today, standing in the battle. How can we stand up against what the devil is trying to do in our country? How can we stand up against what the devil is trying to do in our homes? Joab gives us a great admonition, and we're going to look at it this morning, but let's pray. Father, we love you. Give me a thank you so much for how good you are to us. Thank you for an opportunity to be here. Thank you for each of the fathers. I thank you for each of the men that are here in this church. I do pray that you'd help us to be the leaders that you need us and want us to be so that we might lead our families in a direction that is in a godly spiritual direction and away from the things that the devil is trying to do in our homes that would destroy any chance of seeing them go on to serve you with their lives. And God, I pray that you give us something from you this morning. We'll thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to keep your finger there in, in 2 Samuel chapter 10 or maybe put a bookmark or something because we're going to come back to it a couple different times. But you can turn over to Joshua chapter number 1 because the first thing that I think we're given in this admonition is to take heart. The first part of verse number 12 says, be of good courage. Be of good courage. Don't be discouraged by the situation. Hey, does it seem sometimes like all of your work is for nothing? I know it does. Does it seem sometimes like we sacrifice and pass on things that would be enjoyable for us, uh, enjoyable to the flesh so that we can give way to the Holy Spirit and it seems like we get nothing for it? I know it feels that way sometimes. But don't be discouraged by the situation. Joshua said this in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9. Actually, the, the Lord is speaking to Joshua and telling him this. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest, he's saying, hey, take heart, take courage. God's with you in that battle that you're fighting. You can turn over there if you want to, but First Chronicles chapter 28, David is, is getting ready to pass off of the scene. And, and uh, as much as he wanted to build the temple for, for God and, and for, the, uh, for this holy place to, to be for God, God said, David, you're a man of war. You've shed blood. You cannot be the one that builds my temple, but your son Solomon will be. And so God, uh, uh, David, as he's getting ready to, to pass off the, the torch, so to speak, from, from, from himself and from everything that he was able to accomplish for God to his son Solomon, he says this in, in 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse number 20. David said to Solomon, his son, be strong and of a good courage and do it. Fear not, nor be dismayed, for the Lord God, even my God, will be with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee, until thou hast finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. Hey, take heart. God is with you. God wants to see you succeed in that battle. God is for you. And I don't mean that in a, in a, uh, in, in a way of, of a prosperity gospel type. You just, you just keep serving God and everything's going to be fine. No, there are going to be battles, right? There are going to be struggles. But God is for you in the fight. Take heart. Be of good courage. Don't, don't, don't shrink back. Don't get discouraged in that battle. There's a legend, and obviously it's just a legend, that Satan decided he was going to get rid of a few of his tools. And so he arranged an auction, and there was all kinds of things that he had in that auction. He had envy and deceit and malice and sensuality and enmity and thoughtlessness and a lot of other tools that Satan had uh, used successfully. And he had those priced very low. But one piece that was marked very high was labeled discouragement. And one of the bidders said, why do you want so much for this tool? And that tool, Satan told him, has been my most useful tool. He said, you can, you can see that it has more wear than the rest. It used to, uh, it, it's used as a wedge to get into a man's mind when all of the other tools fail. 
And that tool was priced so high that nobody was able to buy that tool of discouragement. And so Satan continues to use that tool to this day. Now, obviously, that's just a legend. But Dr. Jerry Falwell said, I've never known God to use a discouraged person. Hey, I tell, I tell people all the time, hey, pastor, don't get discouraged. And I, and I appreciate it. But listen, I'm not discouraged. Disappointed sometimes, but it's hard to be discouraged when you know who's on our side. It's hard to be discouraged when we're fighting the battle when God plus no one makes a majority, right? And so if you join God's side, you are in the majority already. What do we have to be discouraged about? What do we have to be afraid of? There is nothing to fear on this front. God is for us. God is fighting for us, and he wants us to win that battle. God has great plans for you and your family. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. He's got a path that he wants every one of us to walk. The problem is he doesn't show us the beginning and the end of the path. And so we start walking down that path and we can't see but a couple steps in front of us and we get scared and we get discouraged and so we turn around and we run. And God says, hey, that's, this is the path that I have for you. You keep walking down that path. You keep going on that, on, in, in my plans that I have for your life. He's got a plan for you. He's got a plan for your children. He has a plan for your family and he wants to use you. He wants to use us. Don't let the devil discourage you. Don't look around at the world and what's going on in it and let him distract you from the things which is your primary job of pointing your family to Jesus Christ. Turn over to Psalm 27. Boy, there's lots of Psalms that we can look at. I, I, I just want to point out a couple of them to you this morning. They're all right in the same place. I think it'd be easy for you to turn to them. But Psalm 27 in verse number 13 says this. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Verse 14, Psalm 27. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. You know, that's one of the problems that we have, and I'm not going to get off on this this morning, but one of the problems is we, we step outside of God's will because we're impatient. Why is God not moving? We've got to do something. We've got to move. We've got we to go do this. Uh, we jump outside of God's will because we're trying to do it in our own strength. Hey, God is for you. Be patient. Wait on him. Take courage. Take heart. He is working. You just got to let him do that work. Hey, forward by faith. That's our theme this year, right? When, we, when I set that as a theme, I didn't realize how, how, how much he was really going to put that to the test, right? We're trying to move forward as a church, and it's by faith because it could come tomorrow that we get our 60-day notice, and we got to find a place. And hey, we might be meeting in a tent on my property somewhere, right? <laughs> God gave us two and a half acres. It's nice because we cleared it all out, and it's... It's a perfect spot for a tent and a bunch of cars, and that might be where we're meeting for a couple of months. I don't know. I don't know what God has for us, but we got to go forward by faith. And I'm not worried about it. You know why? Because God is on our side. God wants us to succeed. And I, I was just telling somebody this yesterday. This is not my church. This is not your church. It's his church. What do I have to worry about? God, it's your problem. You're the one that has to find a place for your church to meet, not me. This is in your hands, right? What do I have to worry about? And the same is true when it comes to our families. God wants your family to succeed spiritually. God wants your kids to grow up and live for him. What happens so often is that we're trying to direct them. We're trying to push them where we want them to be instead of saying, God, they're yours. You take care of them. You do with them what you want to do with them. Right? He says this in Psalm 31, just a couple pages over, maybe on the same page for you. But Psalm 31 and verse 23. Oh, love the Lord, all you saints. 
For the Lord preserveth the faithful and plentifully rewardeth the proud doer. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. I know things don't look good in our world today. I know things are not easy. But take heart, be of good courage. But the second thing, and you can turn back over to 2 Samuel chapter 10. The second part of verse 12, he says, be of good courage. But he says, and let us play the men for our people and for the cities of our God. I think what he's saying here is toil hard. Take heart, but toil hard. What I think he's saying here is do your best. Don't give less than 100% of your effort. You may not always feel like you have it all together. You may not always feel like being the one to make the decisions and leading your family. You may not always uh, feel like uh, uh, being the one uh, to fight these battles that are going to show up in your home. And I'm not, and I'm not saying in, a, in, a, in an argumentative way and everything else. The devil is going to fight on a lot of fronts. And you may just, you know, it's just not, that's not my personality. I, I'm not a fighter. I don't like confrontation. I don't like controversy. And I don't either. But, but you just have to play the man. God created men to work. That's, how, that's who God designed us to be and how God designed us to be. And I'm, I'm telling you what, I'm so glad God made me a man. I, I couldn't be a woman. I don't know how these people cross over and become women. I, I really don't because I, I, I would be a horrible woman, I can tell you that much. Uh, but I'm glad God made me a man, you know? And, and, and God gives us that desire. He made you to be who, you, who he wanted you to be, right? The Bible says in Genesis, male and female created he them. Right? He didn't create someone to be a half male and half female and a male who should have been a female and a female who should have been a male and all those other things. He created you who he wanted you to be. And I got to go find my identity. I got to, I got to, all this other kind of stuff. You find your identity in Jesus Christ. And when you find him, you know exactly who he created you to be. You don't have to go try to be something else. You don't have to try to manufacture something. You don't have to try to change something. God created you who he wanted you to be. And if he created you a man, he created you to be a leader. And if you don't like leading, I'm sorry, he created you to be that way. Play the man, he says. I don't know why he told Abishai that. And maybe Abishai was saying, I don't know if I want to do this or not. He said, listen, brother, you got to just go play a man. You got to go be a man for your people. Be of good courage and at least pretend to be a man in front of these guys or you're going to make them scared too, right? But toil hard, he tells him. First, we have to toil hard in prayer. See, a man that's not praying for his family is setting up his family to fail. And I know prayer is hard work. That's why so few people do it. Even as a pastor, I find it hard to pray sometimes. You know, circumstances come up. It's, sometimes you don't feel like praying when there's a lot of pressure, but it takes a lot of time and effort and concentration, right? I kneeled on to pray, and, 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 the, and I don't know if it's the devil or what, but all kinds of thoughts come into my head. And, oh, I, oh man, that's something I need to do. Oh, I need to write that down so I don't forget that. And, oh, I got to do this. And, oh, and, and, and it, it takes work to concentrate on praying. It takes work to concentrate on praying for your family. I don't think there's anything scarier to the devil than a man that's on his knees in prayer before God. We sing, that, we sing the chorus, I'm a soldier winning battles by fighting on my knees. Do you believe that? And if you believe that, then are you doing it? We have to toil hard in prayer, but also we have to toil hard in example. And I know that's probably not the most eloquent, eloquent way to say that, but what I mean by that is you have to work hard to be an example to those in your house. Turn over to 1 Kings chapter 15. When you are the leader, when you are the example, you don't get a day off. Taking a day off makes you a hypocrite. And there's nothing... Uh, hi hypocrisy 
is the quickest way to send your children right down the road to the devil's playground. You want to see your children run off into the world and never step foot in church again? Be one thing at church and another thing at home. Be one thing when you're around people who, who expect you to act a certain way and be another thing at home. That's, that is the quickest way to send your children right down the road to the devil's house. Hypocrisy is, is an excuse that a lot of people use about, oh, I don't, I, I'm not going to church. Those people are a bunch of hypocrites. Hey, there's hypocrites everywhere. And there are lots of hypocrites in the church. But that's not an excuse for you to not be in church. It's not an excuse for you to not be in God's house. It's not an excuse for you to just give up on the things of God. You don't be a hypocrite. And pray that the guy next to you is not going to be a hypocrite. And pretty soon you have a whole church full of people who aren't hypocrites and who really are trying to serve God. But your kids see you. You are the example, whether you want to be an example or not. And they are watching you. And they see how you are at church and they see how you are at home. They hear the things that you say you should be doing and, and the way that you should be living. And then they see the things that you watch. They hear the things that you listen to. You are an example whether you want to be an example or not. Are you a good example or are you a bad example? And it takes a lot of work to be a good example. But we have to work hard at it. I want to show you one verse of a great passage here in 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 11. And I, just, I don't have time to set the whole thing up, but you can understand exactly what we're seeing here. The Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 15 and verse 11, And Asa did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, as did David his father. Let me ask you a question I want you to chew on for a little while. Would it be a blessing or a curse to have your son grow up and be exactly like you? Would it be a blessing or a curse to have your son grow up and be exactly like you? David could say, boy, I want my son to be like me. I made some mistakes. Wish I didn't. But I want my son to grow up and be like me. And look what God says in verse 11. Asa did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, as did David his father. It's a story told of a father who spent time every day at the tavern. And he always warned his son never to drink. Don't ever drink, son. And he'd walk out and go to the tavern almost every single day. And one snowy afternoon as he walked out the front door and started to make his way toward that tavern, he noticed that his son was walking in those footsteps that he was making in the snow. And that man said, you know what? Something hit me right then. And he turned around and he went back and he picked up his son and he hugged him. And he never set foot in that tavern again. Whether you like it or not, whether you want to be or not, you are an example. And you have to work hard to make sure you are a good one. Young people are watching you. The admonition back in 2 Samuel chapter 10 was to take heart, to toil hard, and lastly, trust him. Trust God. The last part of verse number 12 says, and the Lord do that which seemeth him good. You know what Job was saying? We can take courage. We, we can be of good courage. We can play the man for our people. But at the end of the day, it's all in God's hands. At the end of the day, just trust him to do what's best. That's leaving the results to him. We can do our best not to get discouraged. We can do our best to, to play the men and work hard, but we just have to trust God that he'll bring the results. Martin Luther spent three days, one, one, one time when he was going through a, a, just a dark, a dark time in his life, black depression, over something that it had gone wrong. And on the third day, his wife came downstairs, and she was dressed in mourning clothes. She was 
dressed in all black. She had her face covered. She had a little veil over her face. And Martin Luther hadn't even heard that anybody died. And so he asked her, she, he, he said, he asked her that question. Who, who died? Who's dead? And she said, God. And Martin Luther obviously was taken aback. He said, what do you mean God's dead? God can't die. She looked at her husband and she said, well, the way you've been acting, I was sure he had. You know, sometimes we just need to trust God and stop acting like God's dead. God's not dead, right? God's still working in your life if you will allow him to do it. God's still on your side if you'll join his side, right? God still wants you to succeed. There's a lot of times when it just doesn't seem like doing it God's way is working. Turn over to Psalm 60. Uh, I, I think often it seems like the world and the flesh and the devil are, are so powerful that there's no way that we can win. But Psalm 60 and verse 12 says this, through God we shall do valiantly, for he it is that shall tread down our enemies. And I'm telling you, it's the same thing that I said just a few minutes ago, is that we try to do this in our own strength and we get discouraged. We try to do it in our own power. We try to finagle things to make them work out the way that we want them to work out. When what God is saying is just, turn it over to me. I, I told this to the young people when, I was, when, when we were at camp this past week. Uh, or at the family camp, and I, I had an opportunity to do a devotion for, uh, for, the, for one of the mornings, and I directed it specifically to a lot of the young people that were in there. And I, 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 I gave them some of my testimony, and essentially what I had done with my life was, hey, I wanted to do God's will. I wanted God to be pleased with my life, but I had all my plans laid out. And I was giving God a piece of paper, and I said, God, sign this at the bottom so that I can tell everybody this is your will for my life. This is what I want to do. This is where I want to go. This is who I want to marry. This is what I want to accomplish. Sign it so that I can tell everybody this is what you want me to do with my life. And God threw a wrench in my plans and changed everything. And essentially what I came to the conclusion was that God was not looking for me to give him a piece of paper with everything that I wanted to do so he could sign it. He wanted a blank piece of paper with my signature at the bottom so he could fill in all the details for my life. He just wants to have control. He just wants us to turn everything over to him. And I'm telling you this, God has written a story of my life that I never would have imagined I could write. I never would have written it the way that he has. I'm so glad that he took the pen. I'm, so, I'm glad I gave him the pen to my life and let him write the story because there's so many things that would never be what they are today. I would never be as, uh, as happy as I am today had God not gotten the pen of my life. But so many of us, as God is trying to pull that pen and say, hey, I want to write a, I want to write a story that, that you don't even comprehend right now. And we say, no, it's my pen. Give me that. And God's trying to pull it away from us. And he says, all right, fine. Go write your own story. The story that I could write for you is way better than you can even imagine. And so we write our little drab details about how our life should go. And, oh, this is so wonderful. Not knowing that God had something that was 10 times beyond what we could even ask or think. God just wants you to turn it over to him. Oh, my family, I, I got the struggles with this kid, and I got the struggles with that kid, and I just don't know what to do. I'm pulling my hair out. and Give it to God. Turn it over to him. Stop trying to do it in your own strength. Stop trying to be the manipulator. Stop trying to write the story. Let God do it. Through God we shall do valiantly, he says, for he it is that shall tread down our enemies. Over in 1 John chapter 4, in verse number 4, he says, Ye are of God, little children, and have, have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 
I want you to look at one last passage in John chapter 16. Trust him. Let God handle it. Because I'll tell you this. He's a whole lot better at being God than we are. God's a whole lot better at being God than I am. Well, we try to play God a lot, don't we? Oh, we would never say, I'm more powerful than God. I, I can handle God should have done this. We would never say that out loud, but sometimes in our mind, oh, man, if only God had, Right? He's a whole lot better at being God than we are. But the Bible says this in John chapter 16 and verse 33. These things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. That's not may or might, it shall. That's a guarantee. You're going to face difficult times. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. See, he's, he's our father if you're saved. And you can rest assured of the fact that he wants the best for us. He wants the best for his children. He wants to use us if we'll let him. I heard a story about a group of botanists that noticed through a pair of binoculars a very rare and, and beautiful flower that was laying deep in a ravine. And, and this young boy uh, was watching nearby. And the scientists told him that they'd pay him very well for a young boy if he would agree to be lowered over the edge of that cliff to, re to retrieve that flower. And the young boy thought about it for a minute. He said, hang on, I'll be right back. And a short time later, he turned. He was followed by a, a gray-haired man. And he went up to those botanists. And the boy said to the botanist, he said, I'll go over that cliff and get that flower if this man holds the rope. He's my dad. And you know, honestly, that's just what we need to do with God. He's our heavenly father. Well, I don't know if God can hold the rope or not. I, I just don't know if I can trust him. Right? We would never say that out loud, but we, we say that with our actions a whole lot. Well, God just doesn't understand the situation that I'm in with my family. He just doesn't know. It sounds so foolish to say it out loud, but we, we, we live that way so often. Right? Often we find ourselves in a battle that we never desired. And perhaps we're facing an enemy on more than one front simultaneously. David found that when he sent Joab and Abishai out to fight against the Ammonites and the Syrians. And Joab gave some great admonition. Hey, Abishai, take heart. Be of good courage. Hey, Abishai, God put us in the position of leaders. I know you didn't ask for it and I didn't ask for it, but this is where we find ourselves. Let's go out and play the man. Let's toil hard. Let's give it everything we got. But at the end of the day, we just have to trust him. We just have to trust him, and all will be well. You read the rest of that story, and I don't have time to do that in 2 Samuel chapter 10 this morning, but you read through the rest of that story, and Joab and Abishai did very well. And it came down to the point where the Ammonites and the Syrians became the slaves of the Israelites for a long time after that. Hey, they did their best, but they left the rest to God. And there's a there's a there's a delicate balance between faith and works. And I find myself in that position a lot. God expects us to work, but he also expects us to have faith. And where is that balance? How much do you work and how much of it is faith? 
right? We're looking, we're looking for a building right now. How much do we get out there and pound the streets and go out there and try to find a place versus just stepping back and saying, God, it's in your hands. It's your church. We need a building, right? And I think he expects us to do both, right? Hey, faith and works go hand in hand, right? We trust God, but then we have to go out and do the work. We work, but we trust God. They, they go hand in hand. And the more we trust God, the more we'll know exactly the amount of work that we should put into it. And the more we work, the more work we put into it, the more I think God says, hey, they're serious about this thing. Let me help them on the backside, right? Faith and works, they go hand in hand. But God expects us as Christians, and especially as men who are leading homes, and as men who are in a church that's trying to make a difference in this community, we just have to trust God. We got to take courage, we got to toil hard, and we just got to trust him. And you know what? God will work all things out for us. God wants you to succeed in your family. He's not fighting against you. We're fighting against him, right? If God had his way, every kid would grow up and be the greatest Christian. Every kid would grow up and do what his will is for their life. Every kid would grow up and serve him. We just need to get out of our own way and let God do that work. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Give me thank you so much for your goodness to us. Thank you so much for an opportunity to preach your word this morning and to hear your word this morning. I do pray that if there is somebody in here that's discouraged this morning because they're not seeing things go the way that they planned or hoped, that you'd encourage them, that they'd be able to take heart knowing the fact that you want them to succeed. You want them to win the battle. You want them to win the fight. I pray that you'd help us to do our part and work hard, but God, at the end of the day, I pray that you'd help us to turn it all over to you, that we just trust you, trust the word of God, trust the plan of God for our lives. And so we have children. I pray that, that we would not lose one child to the world here this morning. God, I pray that every single child and every single family in this church would grow up and do your will for their lives. I pray that they'd find the ones that you want them to marry. I pray that they would know exactly what it is that you want them to do and that they'd do it. That's what you want. That's your heart. Now I pray that you'd help us as men and fathers to lead our families in a direction that's pleasing to you. And where things need to change, I pray that you give us the courage and the boldness to change them. Well, thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen.